Welcome to Benefits, What Like It's Hard? The podcast that breaks down the truths and misconceptions about all things benefits. Not only do we talk about what you should know about the benefits offered to you through your employer, but we also tackle topics on physical and financial wellness. I mean, come on, what more could you want from a podcast? Join me, Libby Allison, each week to hear from people just like you sharing their own experiences and experts giving us the inside scoop on the information we need to be successful. Hi, everyone. Today, we are going to be diving into the coronavirus, and we have Dr. Michael Todd on the podcast with us to kind of give us his perspective and his knowledge on the topic. So, hi, Michael. How's it going? Uh, Good morning. it's going well. It's going as um, well as to be expected during this crisis season. A little introduction of who I am and what I do, Libby. I'm Michael Todd. I'm the Vice President of Business Development for Bon Secours Mercy Health. Uh, I'm headquartered in on Bond Hill here in Cincinnati. And um, I focus more on our direct-to-employer strategies, uh, serving up healthcare solutions for employers across our footprint. And Bon Secours Mercy Health is outside of Cincinnati. It's not just in Cincinnati. We're um, actually global now in that we have five um, private hospitals in Ireland, and that's uh, our European group. We have an Atlantic group that includes Richmond, Virginia, Greenville, South Carolina, Hampton Roads, Virginia, as well as Charleston. We have our Mid-American group, um, that's Cincinnati and Paducah, and then uh, what we call our Great Lakes Group, which is Northern Ohio. Um, so my focus is working with employers across that footprint uh, to deliver healthcare solutions um, to really lower the to- total cost of care uh, for those employers. Well, and I should add too, uh, for your listeners, I practiced um, primary care. I'm a family doctor by training um, with my father up in Northern Cincinnati for about 18 years. And I was the medical director of GE Capital uh, in Connecticut for several years before coming back to Cincinnati recently. So I have tons of questions myself on coronavirus, as well as just some questions that I've put together from other people that I've talked to. So if you're good, I'd like to just jump right into that. Let's do it. My first question is, do we know what caused the outbreak? Um, The answer is yes and no. the outbreak, and I'm going to label it a pandemic. Um, and, you know, it started in an animal population in China. Well, no, it started in China. Uh, and the pandemic itself, uh, there are a lot of different definitions, but the pandemic in general, when, I, when a scientist or a clinician thinks about it, is a new pathogen that enters into the human population. Um, and typically, Pathogens have moved from an animal population into a human population. And the pandemic, and other people will talk about a pandemic, meaning it's just a global uh, epidemic of a uh, pathogen. And pathogens are, you know, viral infections, bacterial infections, et cetera. Um, So it started uh, in um, the Wuhan province, um, probably from an animal market, uh, and somehow jumped into the human population. because it's the word novel, new, um, humans did not have natural immunity to it. 
So it's spread um, very easily. Um, and uh, what we're learning about it right now is it's highly contagious. And from an intellectual perspective of viruses and bacteria uh, in general that are successful are those that don't cause so much damage that kills the host, but causes enough damage that it allows its um, propagation from uh, human to human. And that's what we're seeing in the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 is that it's very successful, it's highly contagious, um, and it leaped um, from the animal population to the human population, and then we found that there was human-human spread. And that's, that's what we're seeing right now is it's, uh, it's, it's growing logarithmically. Uh, and we're seeing those numbers as of this taping of April 2nd. Uh, things are only going to get worse here in the coming weeks in the greater Cincinnati area. Okay. I think that gives good perspective. I did not know what made something a pandemic. It's scarier when it when something can be spread from human to human and that we've never seen this before. So that makes it more serious. Does that, is that, am I understanding that right? Yes. I mean, broadly speaking, yes. The, an epidemic versus a pandemic. An epidemic, think of the annual flu epidemic. We all naturally, every human has some sort of natural immunity to some of the flu influenza strains. We also have natural immunity to some of the coronavirus strains. And coronavirus is just a family of viruses. And COVID-19 is part of the coronavirus family. But we've never seen this strain in the human population. That's what makes it so, um, one, um, you know, deadly uh, across the globe because none of us have ever seen it as any humans. Um, and it, then it's even more lethal in that it is it's highly contagious. Um, and that's, that's the scariest part of it. And I want to caution all of us because there's a ton of fear out there. You know, 80% of people that are infected have very mild symptoms, 80%. So put that in the back of your mind is that it, it is a highly contagious uh, infection, but the vast majority of people will have minor illness. Okay. Speaking of, can we talk symptoms and who is at risk? Yeah. So the symptoms, um, you know, it, it's interesting. The symptoms themselves are pretty benign. You know, the classic ones are fever, cough, shortness of breath. And this isn't low-grade fever. This isn't a 99 fever. This is a fever above 100.4. 100 and the scary thing, and this is why it's very successful, just to add to an earlier comment, is you can have these very minor symptoms that can feel just like a common cold, can feel just like allergies in some situations. And during that time, you're actually shedding viral particles and therefore contagious. So there are a number of people that feel otherwise well, um, again, with minor symptoms that are out in the public um, and they're spreading the virus. Again, it's highly contagious. And um, that's where our social distancing is important. And we'll come to that. The other symptoms that are, I think, really need, we all need to pay attention to, and this is where you really need to seek medical care is if you have trouble breathing, a fever with trouble breathing, that should alert you to something beyond just a minor cold. Persistent pain or kind of pressure in the chest uh, or it's difficulty 
even holding a conversation, that should alert you to something more than just a common cold or even a flu. Here are some, some things that people don't think about, but confusion. And confusion can happen from a number of different things, but we're finding that with this fever, with some of the symptoms, it means that really the viral load and the replication of the virus is occurring. And one that people aren't really aware of um, that is common is kind of this bluish tone to your face or lips. What you can see in a mirror is your normal color. And we all have know what that ashen look is. And when we see someone that uh, we know well looks ill, this bluish uh, color can indicate that your oxygen level is low. So a whole host of different signs and symptoms, but in general, they're pretty standard, fever, cough, shortness of breath. You talked, okay. they asked me also about who's at risk. And we've heard that, you know, the elderly or the infirmed or those with chronic illnesses are at risk. Let me be clear about this. Everyone is at risk. Everyone is at risk. We've all heard the stories that you have a otherwise normal 30-year-old who, you know, is hospitalized for this illness. So it can happen to any anyone. But in general, those who are chronically ill, who have chronic medical conditions, are those at greatest risk. So older people, those old, over 60, those with pre-existing medical conditions, especially like asthma, diabetes, emphysema, hypertension, or other heart diseases. Those are the most vulnerable as we're finding out right now. So if you, and this is a plea to all your listeners, if you have someone in your family like that, it's important for you to reinforce to them over and over and over again uh, the importance of social distancing. I have two elderly parents living in the Glendale area that are over 80, and they've become great at online shopping and uh, getting their Kroger uh, order delivered to them. And uh, they've finally taken uh, listen to their son who's a doctor um, and, uh, and taking it seriously. What makes COVID-19 kind of a bigger deal than illnesses that we've seen in the past, like swine flu or SARS? So, you know, I, I, I think that's a great question. You know, SARS happened in 2002 or two, I think 2003 or four, and we had the H1N1 flu pandemic in 2009. Uh, one that's not talked about all that much is the Ebola outbreak in, two, uh, I think that was 2014, and you mentioned the uh, Spanish flu um, back in 1917, 1918. Um, I, I referenced it before. Successful pathogens, successful viruses don't often kill their host. So Ebola is particularly lethal. It wasn't, a, it's not a great disease. Uh, it's not all that successful. It, its death rate was about 50%. So uh, it burned out rather quickly. Ebola in particular, uh, about 25% or so of the cases were in children, where the H1N1 pandemic focused on uh, really two populations, and, and that's children, uh, H1N1, 47% or so of uh, children uh, were those impacted, and the others were uh, 65 uh, and over. Again, it was a pretty successful pathogen because it was not uh, highly lethal. Most people recovered without uh, complications. 
SARS, severe adult respiratory syndrome, it, it, it was also a coronavirus in that family, and it came out of China and spread quickly. And it spread through respiratory droplets. SARS uh, impacted one uh, end of the population, those 60 and older, uh, and it had a very high uh, mortality rate as well, upwards of 55 60%. So again, it wasn't all that successful as a pathogen um, in that it killed its host more than 50% of its time. And where, again, just to draw a distinction between that coronavirus, COVID-19, it's, it's not highly lethal. It, the majority of those infected are, recover and have mild to moderate. That makes sense. There you go. So from a clinical standpoint, do we have any idea how long we're going to be seriously affected by this? Like how long will we need to be socially distanced and how long do we think hospitals are going to be impacted by this? Well, as of today, I can tell you in the greater Cincinnati area that all of our systems are working collaboratively with state and local health departments. And we're anticipating in the next 14 to 20 days, we'll feel that surge of um, the impact on our health systems. All of our health systems are anticipating working at capacity uh, and in some situ situations, and it, in the news today, we'll have ancillary sites of care as one example at the Cincinnati Convention Center, uh, where there'll be a number of different beds uh, that'll be managed by all of our systems um, to care for those patients. So to answer your question is a difficult one, but being very conservative, I am agreeing with uh, our state health department officials and our governor that for the next 30 days, we will be impacted like we are today. That stay-at-home order, um, essential workers only out on the roads and, and at work. This is what it's gonna look like for the next 30 days. I would anticipate that would be extended through the early part of the summer, if not longer. I, I think that as we move forward, potentially new treatments may be developed, not on the horizon right now, and, Certainly, I don't have insight into that, uh, but that really could help to flatten the curve even more and help us get back to some sense of normalcy. I'm an optimist by nature, but from my perspective, uh, this will linger longer than most people think it will uh, and hope that it will. As it relates to how, it's, how our systems are, are going to be impacted, I think it's important to understand that in the tri-state in particular, our systems are working collaboratively. We're all doing the same sorts of things. We are really trying to consolidate our primary care practices. We have blue offices and red offices. Blue offices would be those for, for patients that have chronic illnesses that need to be managed. And red offices are those who potentially have risk for uh, COVID infection and can be evaluated in a safer environment, keeping those blue zones infection-free and safe, um, where the red, red offices themselves would be focused on really caring for those that potentially have uh, COVID infection. We've also all have started encouraging virtual visits, and virtual visits include the telephone, 
as well as electronic visits that you can do through our systems in Cincinnati. I have electronic medical records called EPIC. So that my chart uh, functionality would allow for electronic visits. And then all of our systems as well have uh, stood up some sort of video capability um, uh, to care for those chronically ill or uh, those that are in need of um, uh, treatment for potential COVID infections. So all of our systems are working really well together. It's encouraging from a uh, provider perspective that um, this crisis has really, um, I wouldn't say forced, but uh, enhanced our collaboration uh, amongst the different systems. So I'm encouraged by that. And I think that all of us in this community, all whether you're a provider or a layperson, uh, the service that we services the medical services that uh, you may need will be available. They may just be in a different model of care than we're currently used to. I think for those of us who aren't working in the hospital systems or even have family members in the hospital systems, which is the situation that I'm in, it's hard to really understand the impact. Can you talk about on a personal level how you and your family have been impacted by this? Certainly can. Uh, number one, I, I, I have two sons, and I have one son who's a college senior down in Nashville who tested positive with three of his roommates. I can tell you that he's recovering nicely. Uh, he's lost a little sense of smell and a little sense of taste, but uh, he fortunately and he and his roommates are back on their feet and taking virtual classes um, for their senior spring semester. As it relates to all the providers on the front line, there's a tremendous, tremendous call to action. And, um, you know, they are heroes. And, you know, whether you're a bedside nurse, uh, an office employee, everyone feels that call to action. But there's a tremendous toll on our, our and strain on our healthcare community. And the amount of stress uh, is, is completely different, but it's not dissimilar uh, to the stress of um, being in the front lines of any battle. Um, there no doubt is a risk of death in this for our, our providers. So that anxiety is heightened. And I can tell you that all of the executives and administrators that are mobilizing to build capacity within our ministries and our systems to see the patients and care for the patients, all of us have turned our attention to building that capacity so that we can handle this medical emergency uh, that our community is feeling in stride. Will it be perfect? No, it will not be perfect. Our hospitals, do they look completely different? Yep, they do look completely different. Areas the hospitals are closed down. Um, our ICUs, we have makeshift ICUs. Of course, everyone's heard about our ventilators, our breathing machines. So we're trying to mobilize new sites of care within the hospital. Uh, where we can care for people that are in um, need of mechanical ventilation or, you know, assisted breathing. So hospitals are looking differently. Of course, there are no uh, guests visiting hospitals. We're trying, all of us are trying to keep um, those that are uh, ill with uh, COVID and other respiratory illnesses separate and apart from any other I wouldn't call it routine medical care, but emergency medical care that is required above and beyond COVID, uh, including uh, those who are giving birth, et cetera. Um, so the, the hospitals look differently. And 
all of us are aware that elective medical procedures have been uh, postponed um, for at least the next month. Many of our providers are doing and providing care for conditions that they don't, normally don't provide care for. It's interesting internally, I can tell you at Bonsacore Mercy Health, we're doing a tremendous amount of education for all of our providers to develop enhanced skills and relearn uh, disease states that we had not thought about in the past. Um, and there's an enthusiasm for that. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I mentioned a, a call of action for our providers, and uh, we're all stepping up to that. Very, very proud of all the providers in our communities that are stepping up uh, to do their service uh, to keep our community healthy. Yeah, I think it's amazing what everyone is doing, including you and the people that you work with and just anyone who's on the front lines. It really is hard to understand how you're being impacted because I'm not personally being impacted myself in the same way that you guys are. So thanks for everything. Libby, you know, it's interesting. You, you know, driving to work or it is almost driving to the front line. I had a conversation um, with the pediatrician uh, just the other day, and imagine driving into an office knowing that you're facing, um, uh, potentially facing some deadly illness, um, that you, you're you going to do the best you can to keep safe yourself as a provider, um, but think of the anxiety uh, of driving into that office or in, into that hospital, um, it, it, and that's happening in your in our own backyards. Uh, so that's a, I mean, if that paints uh, a picture or gives you context, I hope that helps a little bit too. Yeah, definitely. I think that helps. So for those of us who are not on the front lines, and even those of us who are, from a clinical standpoint, what can we be doing to stop the spread? So we know to social distance, but is there anything else that we should be thinking about? No, um, I, I think that's the most important thing personal hygiene and social distancing. Uh, you know, all the different television shows and all the different streaming uh, services that we have available have, have done a good job. We just need to take it even more seriously. It's really our only weapon right now to prevent the spread, to flatten the curve. And that's social, we can't get tired of social distancing. This is, um, you know, our generation's Pearl Harbor. We have to mobilize, and our mobilization is hunkering down at home and being with family or being with your biome and uh, um, family that you've already been exposed to. And social distance, social distance, social distance. That That is our weapon. Personal hygiene, of course, if you go out and shop uh, Kroger, you get gas for your car, whatever it is, you wash your hands, you wash your hands, you wash your hands, and uh, you know, you do it with warm soapy water. Soap is a great agent in this battle to really sterilize what you can. Clean your surfaces at home, clean the doorknobs. All of those things that we've all heard are the weapons that we can use to fight this as a community. And, okay. uh, you know, I would, I would add one thing to that. I'm a father of two important for all of us of the older generation to implore, couldn't say it strongly enough, to let, you know, tell those young, that younger generation that the best thing they can do is social distance. Do not be lax in social distancing. 
as we talk about getting used to social distancing, you posted a blog on how to stay emotionally and physically well in isolation. Do you, can you speak to some of that? What do you recommend from a mental health standpoint during this time? Uh, I think at the highest level is connection. Uh, we all were um, relational beings. We have to be connected. How we're connected, you know, that's an individual thing. I personally have a Peloton bike, and I'm on that every day, connecting with my children. I have one who's in Philadelphia, one is in Nashville. I connect with them via FaceTime. I've done uh, Zoom happy hours with them, which is kind of fun. I've learned to connect differently through even writing letters. Uh, I've written letters, all those thank you notes uh, that I've not put off, but just delayed and procrastinated. Um, so that's a connection. I feel connected when I'm writing uh, those letters to those people. So connection to me is important. Within Bon Secours Mercy Health, we talk about mind, body, and spirit. So stimulating your mind. I'm personally doing Duolingo, learning Spanish. I'm not that good at it, but I'm getting better at it. So I spend that 15, 20 minutes a day away from work, focused on that. That refreshes my mind. I like to read. So reading helps stimulate my mind outside of work and refreshes my mind. And the body part of it all for me is physical movement. It can be any movement. Fortunately, the spring is uh, giving us opportunity to be outside. Not a green thumb, but gardening for me, and then gardening to me is it, it's about potted plants. So gardening <laughs> has helped for that. That's a, it's a type of movement. Any sort of movement is good. I, I referenced my Peloton. I've done online yoga classes, and I'll put a shout out to Body Alive. It's working out to local boutique fitness centers that offer online classes. It's new. It was hard and it, it wasn't used to it. I need to be around people. So it, at least I feel virtually connected to people. I hear other voices. Again, mm -hmm. ref refreshing. And from a spiritual perspective, I have a strong faith. Um, so connecting with God um, for me is a routine that I have every morning. But that can mean so many different things to so many different people. And But that connection to seeing the bigger picture in all of this it provides me hope. I know we will get through this. I know there, there will be, there is light at the end of the tunnel and there, there will be another side to this crisis. It will look different, it will cause us to change. But uh, for me, from a spiritual perspective, you know, the sun will rise uh, again and I will learn personally, I'll grow stronger and be able to persevere through challenges in the future as a result of this. So from a mind, body, spirit perspective, I, I think, I hit on most of the things that keep me sane, but I can't reinforce more that connection is important and service to others, whether it's a neighbor, um, an elderly neighbor who needs uh, uh, a potted flower in front of her driveway, <laughs> which is something I did, uh, you know, things like that and just to help us maintain connection during this, this really dreadful time. I think that's great. I think that's similar to what a lot of us are trying to do, but just reiterating to stay connected and to kind of keep busy in your own way while social distancing is really important. Can't reinforce it more. And as, so, Libby, as, as you said earlier, this is the first podcast or taping that you've done not in your studio at Iran, correct? Correct. 
that we're practicing that social distancing, even though it's odd for you and I not to be speaking face to face. We're still doing it. And it's yeah. hopefully yeah. hopefully successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we think it will be. And I, I that is a good point that there is a that's a we're shifting and I feel like we're shifting quickly. Um and it's not like in my mind I just keep thinking it's not like the world wasn't when it wasn't completely prepared for this. Things have been moving digitally, you know, we do have our streaming services, we have our phones, we have ways to connect. So kind of like thankful that we at least have all of that already. And I, I, I agree with you. I mean, we, we're almost, in a lot of ways, the Peloton bike as an example. Thank God the technology came out because that's really yeah. kept me from a physical perspective sane, if you will. So do you have any other messages or thoughts or tips that you'd like to get across before we close this out? Thanks uh, for opening that up. I, I have two things, two very simple things. Bon Secours Mercy Health has opened up. Uh, we have a COVID hotline. It's for anybody. Um, and I, I would love to get that number. And it's a 24-7 telephone hotline. And this is a call center manned by RNs uh, that are able to answer any questions about COVID. And when I say any questions, where to seek care, should I seek care, et cetera. And that number is 888-700-9011, 888 these are for non-emergent calls, and you know, if, uh, clearly, if you have an emergency, you want to call 911. But that's a hotline that we've set up uh, in the past few weeks um, for all of the public. The second thing I want to uh, really hammer home: no matter where you seek medical care, call ahead first, because we've all set up triage lines at any of our primary care sites that will help you as a consumer, you as a patient, get to the right site of care for your condition. So I encourage you, before you would go to a primary care office for a sick visit, call ahead because your system that you work with right now has set up uh, appropriate sites of care based on your condition. So those are the two things. If you have any questions, call that number and be sure to call ahead if you do seek medical care. And I think that's really, those are the two things that I would really like to hammer home for everyone. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and educate us. You know, I I learned a lot and I'm excited for our listeners to hear all of this. Well, it was my pleasure. And I, I really hope this message gets out uh, to a lot of different people. And, and it, as I said to you offline is that, yes, everyone is scared right now, but I, I think it's important to understand that there there's an end to this. There will be an end to this. And there will, the sun will rise, and we will make this. We will make it through stronger. And our health systems in the Greater Cincinnati area are prepared and are being manned by heroes right now. And you know, applaud them when you have an opportunity because they deserve a ton of credit at, uh, at this stage. Thanks so much. Thank you, Libby. I appreciate it. See you next time.
Nothing we say in this podcast is representative of any specific plan and should not be construed as legal, regulatory, or accounting advice. If there is any discrepancy between what we say and your plan document, your plan document will always prevail.